Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. Okay, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest today, David Waldy. After nearly taking his own life and experiencing a divine wake-up call, David left his corporate career to reinvent himself, rebuild his family, and redefine what is possible in his personal and professional life. He now empowers leaders through his philosophy of fierce empathy, which enables us to look in the mirror, face the facts, and confront the challenges that hold us back from success, fulfillment, and aligned abundance. As a husband, father, and Kansas City farm boy at heart, David believes that lasting success is determined by integrity, responsibility, commitment, and accountability in not only our work, but in every moment we have. He has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and leaders from over 40 different countries and shared stages with influencers like Tony Robbins and Russell Brunson. He is also an outdoorsman, coffee snob in his own words, personal growth junkie, and avid nonfiction reader. David is a life and business strategist, personal coach, speaker, and author empowering entrepreneurs and leaders to get out of their own way, fix what's out of alignment, and never stop becoming the leader they said they would be. David, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. You ready for this? Alan, brother, I'm so excited for this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me, man. Right on. Me too. Me too. Well, hey, I've shared with our listeners just a brief intro, but if you could just share a little more about your background and how you became the personal coach, speaker, author, all those amazing things that you are today. Yeah, absolutely, Alan. So, you know, it's a pretty crazy story. I grew up down the street from this uh, kid named Clark Kent. I didn't realize he was Superman, but when you've got your best friend flying all over the place, it's a pretty fun childhood. I was born in Kansas, just outside of Topeka. And so, you know, I feel like the only thing that people know Kansas for is either Superman or the Wizard of Oz, right? <laughs> that's, right. that's about it. And if I had a nickel for every time there was a, well, we're not in Kansas anymore, David. <laughs> it's something that has been just a huge part of my development and growth because coming from the the Midwest, a lot of what I have learned has come from the work ethic of just that Midwestern farm country, very much outdoor living, working hard. And so I grew up with my dad being a veterinarian. So I grew up around a lot of animals. Mom was a teacher, had a really what I felt like was a beautiful childhood. It was very much like Opie Taylor and BB gun on one shoulder, fish and pole on the other shoulder, and I'm going out. And that was really my childhood experience. And so we ended up moving to Florida just before I turned 14. I was actually kind of frustrated about that because in Kansas, I don't know if you know this, Alan, when you turn 14, you can get a farmer's permit where you live. I was so excited to start driving. And then I moved to Florida and they're like, nope, not, you can't even get a permit till you're 15. Oh. <laughs> so, so I was super frustrated. It was culture shock. It was so much different than what I grew up on. You know, coming from large acreage in Kansas, moving to Florida where I could stick my hand out the window and touch my neighbor, basically. Right. And work through high school. You know, I was involved in everything that I possibly could be involved in. And by the time that I was getting ready to graduate, my parents had been dealing with some marriage issues. And I kind of came to this point where I was like, I feel like I need to get out. I need to go carve my own path. And what was interesting is I had graduated with full ride academic scholarship, but God was doing some things inside of my heart. And I was like, this isn't the path for me. And so I ended up coming to South Carolina, which is where I am now. I attended a leadership school. It's called South Carolina School of Leadership for about two years, an internship program focused on leadership development, interpersonal communication, discipleship. I even took some Bible classes and was on my way to becoming a pastor. Not going to lie, Alan. I was on that road and the Lord had other plans. There was a series of events, which I'm sure we'll get into, but my 20s were what I call kind of the dark ages. I was still plugged into church, still loving Jesus, but no idea who I was, no idea what I was like about, what I wanted to pursue. I had a lot of different skills and talents. I'd been in sales since my first job. I've been in sales my entire career until everything came to a head about five years ago. And I wound up in a job that I was really, really good at. Didn't feel like I was good at it, but 
I had become a top 1% producer in this $400 million a year company. I was really, really good at sales, even though I didn't think I was good at sales in any way, shape or form. And I ended up in a conference room and I was sitting at this table and we've all kind of seen the movies where the big dogs are on one side and the little guys on the other side. And following that, I went through one of the toughest conversations I've ever had because I was more or less told that the only reason that I was still at this company was because I was too much of a financial asset for them to lose. I was cursed at. I was told my team was disposable. I was threatened. During that year, I went through a $40,000 pay cut. I got put into a position I didn't want to be in, which surprisingly was a senior management position overseeing a team generating millions of dollars in sales and 60 pounds heavier than I am right now. And it, it was so hard, Alan, because from the outside looking in, I had followed the path to some degree. And I had achieved the quote unquote American dream. I had the glass corner office. I had the company car. I had the six figure salary. I was married. I had a kid. I had the stuff, right? And inside I was dying. And it was a series of events that caused me to come face to face with myself standing in my bathroom with a Glock in my hand, ready to end it. And it was in that moment, and, and I'm sure we'll get into some of this, where God intervened in a really big way. And it was that day, this was actually April of 2018, and my entire life started to shift in a moment. And I realized that I had been waiting on God to change and fix things that he had given me a brain and a heart to fix myself. And I was pawning off responsibility on him to do things that he had empowered me to affect change in. And so fast forward to where we are today, there's been a long, crazy, wild road of entrepreneurship and building businesses and failing in businesses and partnerships and opportunities. And it's been a beautiful, beautiful experience. And now looking back, there's so many lessons, so many things that I've learned, but that is a very big chunk of life condensed down into a couple of minutes and we can kind of take it whichever direction you want to go, brother. <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, I appreciate you sharing all that. I can't wait to unpack some of that. But before we do get into even the meat of that is if I heard right, 14 years old, you can get a permit in Kansas. Yes. You can get a farmer's permit where I lived and you could drive a vehicle at 14. Is that what all the kids are talking about at 12 and 13 years old? <laughs> well, what's really funny is so growing up in the country, I mean, I was driving a truck at 12. Like yeah. I could drive yeah. from my house to grandma's house is a dirt road. You know, right. you see neighbors and you just roll the window down and wave. Yeah. I mean, even if I saw police like a cop, he'd probably pull and be like, hey, don't let the police see right. you. <laughs> you exactly. know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So we we have that in common. I mean, most people... David, do not picture California like you just described, but I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley of California and it is the breadbasket of California. It is where I think it's fair to say the majority of our produce and food comes from. But anyway, farmland, that's how I grew up. You know, my parents had a walnut farm and we were, I was driving trucks when long before I had a permit or license. So I can relate <laughs> with that a lot. Yeah. I found interesting something else you said there I wanted to highlight is you said you were really good at sales even though you didn't think you were, obviously you were crushing it. And I think it's something that a lot of people, especially early on, and some people who never really get into sales or entrepreneurship, even later in their life, don't realize that sales is so much more than what people would stereotypically think of as a salesman. Would you agree with that? I would 100% agree with it. And I feel like this isn't just an American problem. We have been hoodwinked to believe that sales is something that it is absolutely not. Right. We think of the stereotypical used car salesman, or you go into the department store and you're like with your mom and she's trying to get past the makeup counters. She's like, tuck and roll, Poco. We got to get past everybody because they're all coming out with like, hey, try this on and all this stuff. And yeah. we think about these aggressive, very pushy salesy. We have terms for it. Like salesy is not even actually a word, but we use that word, right? The pushy salesperson. And so for me, my idea of what a salesperson was didn't align with my experience of what actually selling to people was. And the reason that I didn't feel like I was that good at it is because I never was pushy with people. My approach to sales was always founded in my core strengths and my number one strength every time I've taken any type of personality test or anything like that is empathy. And so I would always go in seeking to understand. I was like, I don't even know if this person needs what I have to sell. So I better ask a lot of questions. And 
I started to realize that as I asked those questions, and I mean, I put in the proverbial 10,000 hours that supposedly makes you an expert or whatever. I've done almost 9,000 face-to-face closed transactions, single sale transactions over the course of my career. And so I put in that time to understand that sales is nothing more than serving people and making sure that the solutions that you provide are the best match for them. And if you want to be a good salesperson, learn to ask better questions and learn to shut up and listen and pay attention. Because when you actually listen and you create an environment where people feel seen, they feel heard, they feel understood, they will throw their money at you for the solution that you have. And that's why I felt like how I was approaching sales didn't really line up with the way that everybody framed salesmen, right? But the numbers didn't lie. I was a top 1% producer in this $400 million a year company doing millions and millions of dollars in in face-to-face sales. And it wasn't until I had a mentor of mine, she approached me and she said, David, I don't think you understand how rare this is. I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean rare? And she said, your approach to sales does not exist in the corporate environment. It's very, very, very rare. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, what I want you to do is I want you to create a systematic process and just map it out. And as I started to do that, I started to realize like there was a way that I was approaching sales interactions that I could teach to other people. I could help other people learn how to do. And that's really where I started cutting my teeth in coaching is because the company I was working for, they started having me train sales reps and like learning how to coach individuals. And so the long and short of it is that it led to the framework that I operate from today. I don't do sales training as much anymore, but it centers around this concept of fierce empathy is you got to be fiercely committed to believing in yourself, believing in what you provide and believing in the person that you're serving. And when you do that and you create that environment where people feel seen, heard and understood, sales is a beautiful win-win experience where both of you can go home overjoyed and happy that that transaction took place. Oh man, well said, well stated. And that's why I asked that question because I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. And I really appreciate you bringing that out so clearly. I wanted to ask, what what would you say, you've obviously had a ton of success in these last several years. What would you say has been a key, one of the keys to your success? Well, I'll go with the most important one, which I'm sure everyone here will agree with it all is Jesus. That's a big part of it. I'm going to give an answer that I don't know if I've ever given to this question before, Alan, and that the more and more I've processed it, I really think this is the most effective for people. Because I think the core foundation of the success that I've experienced is that I started to see myself the way that God says that I am. I became my own best friend. I can look at myself in the mirror now, and it's not this pretentious ego thing. There's a tremendous humility that comes with it, with the awareness of who we really are. But in learning who I am and learning how to love myself and to value my strengths and appreciate those things and to mitigate weaknesses and allow myself to need help and to ask for help and to know where those weaknesses are, that self-awareness has changed everything, absolutely everything. And I would say that it's probably the core foundation of every bit of success in my life. And I'm not just talking in, you know, in business, in, in my marriage, with my kids, in my health, in everything that I do, it's been believing what God has said about who we are and actually owning that and operating from that place. I love it. I love it. I've got several different statements about what God says straight out of his word in a file on my phone, on my (laughs) computer that I can easily reference to remind myself of what he says about me and you and every other living person, right? And it's such a valuable thing to keep in mind because when we start listening to other voices, we can really get into trouble. And I'm sure we'll probably get into maybe even a little of that here in a second. But I want to go back to your quote unquote corner office and your salary and all your sales success with the company that you were with a few years back, five years ago, I think you said, what was that like having made it, as you said, outwardly speaking, I mean, by the world standards is what many people believe is the definition of success. And yet obviously being miserable enough to be standing there with a Glock in your hand, considering your own life. What was that like? So for a season And I think this is the danger when we don't know who we are. And like I said, throughout this whole process, I was still anchored in my faith, still reading the Bible, still going to church, like doing the things. And my wife and I, we actually met leading worship. So I was still very engaged in my faith. But my problem, Alan, was that 
I had never heard this question that came up from the mentor that I mentioned. She goes to our church and she's worked with like Fortune 100 companies, just an incredible consultant. One of those individuals that you're just blessed to be around with a heart of gold. And she came to me and she said, David, I'm formulating this coaching program that's going to be about $300,000 that I've got to take to our board of directors in order to take all of our executives through. And number one, I was like, I'm sorry, how much do people pay for coaching? <laughs> and she said, I have to have five case studies and I would love to bless you with this and work through this process with you and to coach you. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but awesome. Sure. Yes. That sounds amazing. So we're sitting at this little restaurant. We're sitting across the table and all this is around the same time. Like I'm struggling at work. I'm working 80, 90 hours a week. I'm trying to be a dad. I'm trying to be a husband. Again, 60 pounds heavier than I am right now. This season of life, I was dealing with constant suicidal ideation. I hadn't gotten to the point, but I was contemplating for a long time. Panic attacks, anxiety attacks. And I felt like a hypocrite. I felt like an imposter. All these questions of purpose and passion and why am I here and what am I doing? And I had become really, really resentful of the fact that everyone around me seemed to have a plan. Like they knew what they wanted. They knew what they were going after. And I had been conditioned, Alan, to ask this question that many of us Christians do ask is like, God, what's your calling on my life? What is your purpose and plan for my life? And as we're sitting there at this little restaurant, my mentor named Sarah Cabra looked across the table at me and she says, David, who do you want to become? And Alan, that question, I don't, it's not a revolutionary question. But for me, the question I had always heard growing up is, what do you want to do when you grow up? Right. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And so when she said, who do you want to become? The first thing, the honest first thing that came up inside of me, I'm pretty sure I blurted it out without even thinking it. I said, I'm not allowed to answer that question. She's like, what are you talking about? That's God's job is what I said. I'm not allowed to define who I want to become. That's God's job. So she said, okay, well, let's just play a little game and pretend, you know, if you could think of any models or people that you wanted to emulate and follow. And I, of course I had the, you know, I said, Jesus, and she said, wrong answer. You can't pick Jesus, pick somebody who is either alive or that you look at their life. And I said, well, honestly, I've always admired Tony Robbins. If I could be like Tony with a few less F words, <laughs> I don't want to travel as much as he does, but you know, love him or hate him. It's undeniable that people have been marked by his work. And so that question in and of itself, Alan, and this is a roundabout way to answer your question. It set me on this path of really going back to the heart of the father and saying, God, my whole life, I've been desperately praying for you to show me what my calling is and what my purpose is here. And I've been doing all the things. And I had another friend of mine, he challenged me on this. He said, David, what if your calling is not an expectation to live up to? What if it's not something to fail? What if calling is nothing more than an invitation to lean into and live out of every single day as you pursue the heart of the Father? And that shifted things for me, Alan, because I started to realize that, and especially having kids, and it changes things when you have kids, I started to realize maybe the reason that I have all these issues in my life is because I have been expecting God to tell me exactly what to do rather than trusting and believing that these things that he had placed inside of my heart were things that I could lean into. And there was one day I was praying and I, I felt the Lord so clearly. He said, David, why is it so hard for you to believe that the things that you want in this life, why is it so hard for you to believe that maybe I put those there? Because I had become convinced, Alan, that those were selfish things. I wasn't allowed to want to pursue these and do these different. So I didn't think I had permission to define who I wanted to become. And so full circle to your question, the misery was I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my authority as a son. I didn't know my rightful place as heir. And I didn't understand that these things were gifts for me to give to other people. But because I did not love myself, how was I supposed to love my neighbor? You hear all the time, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you don't love yourself, all of your efforts to love your neighbor are in vain. They're hollow shell form versions of love. And so for me, it was this whole entire rediscovery of life and faith and opportunity and potential and promise and purpose. And it set me on the path where if you could go back five years, six years, you would not recognize who I am. I'm a completely different human being than who I was. 
And that was how many years ago, David? That was about five years ago? Five years ago. Actually, April. We're in April. It was exactly five years ago. And so knowing a little bit about your story, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, was there ever a moment in time that you had this light bulb moment, this aha moment? It sounds to me like you just described it there with, I think you said, Sarah. Is that what kind of led to that is her asking you, who do you want to become? That was the question. And the reason it struck me, and it's become the foundation for all the work that I do, the reason it was that was the light bulb moment is that I started to realize all of the questions that we ask. What do I need to do to grow my business? What do I need to do to fix my health? What do I need to do to lose weight? What do I need to do to have a better relationship with my parents? What do I need to do to find more fulfillment? What do I need to do to have a more passionate life? We're all asking, what do I need to do? And I started to realize when she asked me that question, that asking what you need to do is not that that's a bad question. It's a useful question. I just don't think it's the best first question. Because when you can ask, who do you want to become, and you go before the heart of the Father, and you really bring yourself into alignment with who he says that you are, and Alan, you've got kids, right? Just six. Just six. Beautiful family, right? All boys except for five of them. (laughs) So in that, one of our deepest desires as fathers is that we want to be able to do everything within our power to see our kids' dreams fulfilled. Right. But for some reason, I didn't think God felt the same way. And when you bring yourself into alignment and you give yourself, and when I say alignment, I'll clarify that real quick. When you give yourself permission to say, this is the father I want to be. This is the mother I want to be. This is the leader I want to be. This is the entrepreneur, the friend, the brother, the sister, the son, the daughter. This is who I am and who I am going to become. Now, every single thing in your life that doesn't align with that definition, it's got to go. Right. And so that alignment process, I started to realize if we first ask the question, who do I want to become? What you need to do gets crystal clear really fast. So good. So good, David. That is a good, wise word right there. I love that. As you think about the challenges that you've been through in life, and I know you've shared with me that You had other challenges that we haven't even mentioned on this interview yet. But when you think about various challenges, what advice would you give to somebody else or maybe your own self? What advice would you give to yourself, your younger self, knowing now what you know and what you've experienced? If you could go back in time, I don't know, 20 years, 15 years and give yourself some advice, what would it be? It's a great question. If I could give myself advice and for anyone that maybe is navigating some challenging things and real quick on that note, we've all been through stuff. I've got sexual trauma in my life. My wife and I lost a child to miscarriage. You know, there's the corporate stuff, parents divorce, death, and all of this stuff. We've all been through varying degrees. The reason I want to hit on this real quick is that I think we get so caught up in comparing scars and licking wounds that we never actually shift our focus. And we're so focused on the past and the injustice and what happened and all these things. And yes, I think it's useful. It's useful to look back in that rear view mirror, like you're asking me now. It's like, if you could go back and reflect, but I really try and focus on that forward thinking. Forward thinking, I think is important, but more so is being present. Right. Right here, right now. And for anyone right here, right now, listening to this and you're going through the ish, (laughs) you're going through the stuff. The biggest word of advice that I could give you is find the individuals in your life or around you that are currently walking in and modeling what you want your life to look like in that area. As far as your health, as far as your marriage, as far as parenting, as far as your spiritual life, in business, in finances, look at your life. And, and I love this exercise. Like a very quick exercise that I love to use is on the left-hand side of a page, write down everything you are dissatisfied with in your life. Everything. All the pain, all the injustice, all the, the financial woes and like the health stuff and the family stuff and write it all down. And then on the other side, write down what you would want instead. And when you start to do that, Start to think about the individuals that you could say, you know what, where do I see that in somebody's life? Somebody in my church or somebody in my family or somebody that I follow, somebody that I'm connected to. Because what I think would have 
potentially mitigated some of the pain and the challenges was being able to have mentors and models to look at and to understand. And there's an important thing here. It's not just about modeling behavior. I think sometimes when we talk about like modeling people like, well, just do what they do. No, 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 no. Well, let's pause for a second because all of our actions are fueled by feelings and all of our feelings are fueled by thoughts and all of our thoughts are fueled by beliefs. So if you just go do the same actions, this is why, and you know this, Alan, if somebody comes in and tries to steal your trade secret and do all the exact same strategies and tactics and all this stuff, they're not going to get the same results. And the reason is they don't think the way you do and they don't believe the same things that you do. Right. They don't have the same feelings. And so in modeling and finding people that can support you, you need two things. You need support and solutions. Find someone that can support you through it and find people that can provide you solutions by challenging you on what you currently believe about what's possible and who you are. Start taking your thoughts captive and submitting them before the heart of the father. And if you do that, your feelings will change and your actions will change. If I could go back and tell myself that little bit of information, surround yourself with people that are currently emulating things that you want to emulate, I feel like it would have done immeasurable good in my life. But there's another caveat to that, Alan. I don't look back with any regret anymore. Right. And I'm sure we were going to get into this, but I only look back now with overwhelming gratitude, not for the things that happened, but because of Romans 8.28 and choosing to believe all things God causes to work together for our good. He's not necessarily the instigator or the initiator of the thing, but he will redeem it if you allow him to. And if you let go of all of the stuff that has really just caused us to live in a cognitive hell or an emotional hell. And so that's a long way of saying best advice, find mentors, find people to model, get support, get the solutions from people that are currently walking the path that you want to walk. I love it. It's a great piece of advice. And the only reason you you know this, I'm sure, but for our listeners, the reason I asked David that question of what could have better prepared you is because my hope and my desire with this podcast and everybody listening is each and every one of you can be better prepared for your next challenge because we all have one ahead of us. I mean, I believe we all have one ahead of us. I believe challenges, as I've said before, they're like waves of the sea. And we're either in the middle of one or we just came through one or we're on our way to the next one. The timing and the spacing is different, but it's just inevitable that we're going to face more challenges. I love everything you said, not to go back and wallow in the past, get stuck in the past, or be brought down by it, but to learn from it and then get our eyes looking forward and be better prepared for the next time. Real quick, if I could add one other thing, because I think this is useful. The challenge sometimes in this is that we oftentimes don't have the courage to ask for the help. We think that we have to figure it all out on our own. And you're an incredible example of this, brother, is that a great case in point, I know there are people listening right now. They look at their life and they're saying, okay, I'm following this Alan Blaine guy. I love the guests he has. He's an incredible individual. I see his wife. I see his family. And there are parts of your life that they're like, that's what I'm chasing after. I want to learn from this guy. So kudos to everyone listening that is just listening. You're here. You're gleaning from this man. But if I could go back, I would have told myself to have the courage to actually create a relationship and reach out and find ways that I could actually study under them or hire them or work with them or get them to teach me because there's a very big difference in picking up a book and listening to a podcast and hearing people talk about it and saying, no, I'm willing to submit to your tutelage, to learn, to grow and expand. And so I know that's a lot of what you do, Alan, is you love helping people create that lifestyle freedom to be able to not just make money, but make money helping people and doing beautiful things. And I know there's people listening right now. They're like, I've been listening week after week after week, but I haven't had the courage to reach out to Alan. For those of you listening right now, shoot this man a message and say, Alan, can you help me learn how to do what you do? And I promise you, tell me, Alan, you will help them, won't you, brother? 100%. It's what I live for, professionally speaking. It's uh, it's what drives me out of bed every morning. I love it. I love it. So I appreciate that. And I think you bring just an incredible point there, associations. And I agree. I mean, I'm 50 years old and I wish in my 20s and even in my early 30s, I would have understood this. And I didn't. I didn't. I just think of how far much further along could I have been by this age 
had I understood that the power of associations and investing time and dollars to get to be around people that are way further ahead, both soul mentors and people that could mentor me in a particular area, whether it's fitness, whether it's business, whether it's just anything else, relationships, and even the whole mentor, the whole life mentor, as I like to call it. So I, I love you bringing that out. And it is a great segue to the next question I was going to ask you is, how do you view all the challenges in the rearview mirror? I mean, are you glad you went through that? Do you wish you hadn't? Do you wish there was some you could have avoided? Do you feel like it's benefited you to go through those tough times? Those are great questions, brother. It's really challenging to hold these things that have happened to us. And especially when they're really traumatic and really painful and sometimes just evil and not okay and not good and injustice and wrong. There are things that happen that are not okay. Right. And so sometimes I think people misunderstand when I say things like, I don't know that I would change a thing. It's almost like they're saying, well, so you're okay with what happened? No, I am not okay with what happened. But because of our miraculous father and how he can take anything, the beauty from the ashes, when everything has been burnt to the ground, he has this amazing ability to create infinitely more than we could have ever asked for or ever imagined. And so it's this weird place of saying, yes, I'm grateful for all of it. There's not a regret that I have. I've made some stupid decisions. I think we all have, you know, but, and I've done some things. There's times where I wish that I could take it back. But then when I take a step back and I look at it, I'm like, you know what? Life really is all happening for us. God really is working all things for our good. And when we take that attitude, you become fearless, man. Yeah. And you can face situations that come. And it doesn't mean we don't still have pain. You know, last year I went through some of the toughest pain of my entire life. I've been through some stuff. And last year, like there's, there's more. But now I approach it with this perspective that says, God, I don't understand it. I don't need to understand it. But my prayer is that this is going to yield a measurable good in and through my life for other people that this story, because what I found, Alan, is nobody wants to go and sit at a conference or watch a movie where everything's perfect, like they were fed with the silver spoon and had never had any problems. And now they're successful. Nobody wants to read that story or hear that. Right. What we love is seeing like the ones that are the deepest, that really mark us the most is we look and like, wait, you overcame that? Those are the ones that we want to lead us. Those are the ones that we say, okay, if they could make it through that, then I can make it through what I'm going through. And so I look back on this with just this humble, weird gratitude, appreciation, sometimes some pain, you know, because things come back up. And I feel like it's made me who I am today. And I could not be this man, this man that I love, that I know my wife loves and my kids love and that my clients love. I couldn't be David Waldy if it wasn't for all of the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know? 100% agree. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a healthy and accurate perspective, David. And I've used this analogy a few times, but you think about like a lotto winner, someone who wins whatever they win, millions of dollars. Nobody's inspired by that. They may be jealous, but, and I'm not jealous because I see the statistics and- It breaks my heart. And it's really sad, um, partly because they didn't have any adversity to to overcome, to get there. And there's a whole lot of other factors not to go into that. But the point is people may be jealous of them, but they're not inspired by them. It's only the ones, like you said, every good movie, every good book, every good story has adversity in it. And that's what makes it great. And that's what makes a happy ending, a happy ending. And so I just love that you brought that out. And that more importantly, you're living it out and you're being raw and authentic. And I love your whole philosophy, fierce empathy, your, your whole motto or your mantra, if you will, could you just touch on that real quick before I ask you these last few questions in rapid fire, fierce empathy? What, what does that mean to you? What is that all about? So fierce empathy came out of some of this pain that we're talking about, like growing up and, and I'm sure you could relate to it as well. When you're a teenage boy, you know, you want masculine characteristics, right? You want strength and competitive and all these things. And that's that season where you don't know who you are and you're trying to figure out what it means to, to grow up. Right. And so the first time I took Clifton Strengths Finders, I think I was like 16 or 17 years old. And at the top of the list, it says empathy. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. What a girly trait, man. Like, I was like, I did, I was not proud of the fact that my number one core strength was empathy. And then I'm going down the list and it says, 
empathy, connectedness, inclusivity, like these very relationship oriented strengths. And at the time, I didn't appreciate them for what they were. Right. And this is a trending thing nowadays. Like, what is a man? What is a woman? And, and there's so many people that are looking for all these answers. And for me, what I had to do in really restoring relationship with myself and becoming my own best friend, I started to see more and more and more that the empathy was one side of this coin that I saw modeled in the life of Jesus. I grew up with a Jesus that was the baby, the lamb, the softy, very gentle, very kind, very loving. And he is. Mm -hmm. But I didn't grow up with the lion, the one with fire in his eyes, the one who's flipping tables, the one who will ask you the questions that no one else has the courage to ask. And so fierce empathy for me started to take on this life of its own. And it started to become not just this tagline or this concept of this philosophy. It became like me. I always have wanted to create environments where people feel seen, heard, and understood. But simultaneously, I've understood that the people that I respect most in my life are the ones who are willing to, in love, to cut me, to use the sword of the spirit to separate joint from marrow. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. And that shifted things for me because I realized that we have to be willing to have the courage to speak the hard truth in love, regardless of whatever discomfort may follow, if we truly love and care about someone. And we simultaneously have to step outside of ourselves and say, I want to do everything within my power to see, hear, and understand from your perspective. And the reason that this is so challenging, Alan, is because it is predicated on a foundation of trust and relationship. And so when you try and confront someone or hold them accountable or challenge them, and you're doing it in an online context or when no relationship is present and there's no depth of intimacy and trust, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But when you are in relationship with someone and they know your heart and feel your heart, Fierce empathy is this place where we can change these stories that we make up in our head and we can really empathize with the life that people are living in their background and what they've gone through. And we can be more open-minded while simultaneously being fiercely committed to what we believe and what we hold to be true. And so that coupled with this fierce empathy for ourselves, which is the other side. So fierce empathy in and of itself is this paradox, right? These two words that don't really go together, <laughs> you know? But they do. But they do. Coupled with fierce empathy for ourselves is that are we willing to be brutally honest by looking ourselves in the mirror and really taking an inventory? And are we simultaneously willing to forgive ourselves and have compassion and to let go of this guilt and shame and stuff from hell that literally creates a living hell for so many people because they're living in what they've done instead of where they are right now and his mercy being new every day and defining that aim. And so it's this concept that has multiple meanings, actually the name of a book that I'm writing right now, and I'm hoping to publish soon. I've got the first manuscript almost done, but Fierce Empathy, If I feel like if we can implement it in our lives, I've found not only in my life, but in the lives of all my clients, when we approach it this way, life is so much more full of joy and peace and contentment and connection and relationship. And it's changed everything for me. I love it. It reminds me as you were talking of a guest I had on just a few weeks ago, Ashley Peebles, and it's different, but it's in the same vein as what you just described one of her favorite quotes, she said, and I'm getting ready to ask you for your favorite success quote. So this is a great segue. But she said, truth without grace, people can't hear. In my mind, I'm translating, but it's almost like that's the fierce without empathy, right? But she said, grace without truth, it won't change people. You know, that would be maybe empathy, but not being willing to speak the truth and ask them, as you said, the hard questions or whatever needs to be said in love. That resonated with me and my mind went back to that as you were talking about fierce sympathy. And I love that. But speaking of favorite success quotes, do you have a favorite success quote you might be able to share with our listeners? I do. And I will butcher it, but anyone can look it up. It comes from a book called The Greatest Salesman in the World. 
Great book. Tiny book by Og Mandino. And I'll just give the quote and anyone can feel free to look it up. But effectively, he says, what man among 10,000 defines success the same? But every man defines failure the same. Effectively, what he's saying is that every one of us defines success differently, but all of us define failure the same. And failure is our inability to reach our goals. And when it comes to these questions around success, that quote in particular caused me to take a step back and realize that for most of my life, Alan, I thought that success and fulfillment were the same thing. And they are not the same thing in any way, shape, or form. They overlap and they intertwine in really, really cool ways. Right. But the success, the accolade, and the achievement, and the recognition, and the status of the house, of the car, the business, the family, the, those things. If we don't recognize that we have this free opportunity to define goals and to set aims and to pursue these things and to walk by faith every day. And as we go preach, we say, the kingdom has come upon you. We heal the sick. We raise the dead. We cleanse lepers. We cast out demons. We fulfill the great commission that in doing that, you can pursue success. But if you're going to win, it doesn't mean anyone else has to lose. This thing of life and success is not a zero-sum game that you and your definition, Alan's definition of success and fulfillment is not my definition. We might have some overlap. Yeah. So what is your definition? That's a perfect segue. I wanted to ask you that anyway. <laughs> what is your definition of success? So my definition of success. Oh, man. You've asked me some great questions. This one might stump me, brother, because it's always changing. So here's my problem with giving you a succinct answer. All right. Every time I dream big and define these aims, the Lord shows me that I don't dream big enough. And so the definition of the success stuff, almost weekly, it's changing. It's changing. It's changing. Like what I didn't think was possible a year ago. Now I'm like, that wasn't that hard, <laughs> you know? Right. And then you're like the next level and the next level and the next level. And it's not driven by ego. It's not driven by anything other than this. It's like, okay, what's possible? Like what really could be possible? And right now, the biggest dream that I see right now, it scares the crap out of me, Alan. It literally terrifies me in all the right ways. It is so big and so massive that I'm just like, but Lord, what? Right? And so success for me, if I had to give you something succinct, it's something that we find only in serving and serving not only our clients, but our families and the people we've been surrounded by. And we can talk about impact and all these other types of things. And I feel like success starts at the dinner table. It starts at home. It starts with recognizing that if you don't currently see yourself as successful, I'm sure you feel the same way. I feel like I'm the most successful person that I know. But the reason is I'm not comparing to anybody else. I'm not competing with anybody else. There's literally no one I'm competing with on this planet. There's just not. There used to be. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't sometimes compare and get stuck doing that thing. But I'm genuinely not. Every single day is me saying, Lord, I want to become more of this man that you have called me to be, not again as an expectation to live up to, not as something to fail, but this invitation to lean into limitless potential, like what could be possible in my life? And so the success, again, I think it's found in serving and it is found in just leaning into this limitless potential but not getting hung up on the moments. Yes, we all want those moments, but if you want the success that everyone tends to talk about, I think what they mean is they want to be fulfilled. Right. They want to have the stuff. Yes, maybe, maybe not. But I think what we're after is the feelings that accompany success, which really is fulfillment, is we want that joy. We want peace. We want connection. We want intimacy. And so I don't know if that's a fair answer, but that's my best shot, brother. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Serving. I mean, you said a lot more than just serving, but if you had to boil it down to one word, it's serving. And I think that's a, a great one. Just as we start to wrap this up, just some really quick, like 30 second type questions in rapid fire, if we could, what would you say is one habit that's helped you become successful, David? I am statements. 
affirmations is what we often call them or declarations. I would encourage anyone who is listening, if you're serious about changing your life, there's two things you need to do. Number one is every single day for the next 30 days, you take 10 minutes and you sit and you close your eyes and you turn off all distractions and you ask this one question, God, how do you see me? And you write and you write and you write, even if you don't believe it, even if you don't agree with it, even if you think it's like, it couldn't be true, you write what he speaks to you about who you are. And then take those things and turn them into I am statements and stick them on your mirror. And for 30 days, you read those, I am this, I am this, I am this, staring yourself in the eyeballs in the mirror. It's going to be awkward. You might cry. You might want to punch and break your mirror. You might not believe everything. You give yourself 30 days of consistency with that habit. Your entire identity will shift. Your entire experience of life will shift. Love it. Good stuff. Good word. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice I have ever received. It's not about you, but it's all about you. Okay. I can't wait to hear this. It's hard to grapple with because when you understand that there is no competition, you're not competing with anyone, that it's literally you and the father, and that's it. And that's the only thing that really matters. It's all about you. We don't have time to unpack this because I know people can misunderstand it and mishear it. And this isn't about selfishness. This isn't about like all of life is about you or, or whatever. It's, it's hard to explain is that when you can understand that what really matters is that relationship you have with the father, it being about you and his love for you as the individual and his sacrifice for you as it being about you. And if you were the only one left on this planet, he would still do it for you. That when you have that awareness you recognize that the reason is because it's not about you. The reason is because of what he's placed inside of your heart to go forth and serve and give and love and empower and build up and carry the kingdom. And which is why we have to have confidence. But we also have to walk in humility. We have to know who we are, but we also have to be willing to say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I can't. So it's a weird bit of advice, but if people want to chew on it and wrestle with it, I think hopefully they'll get the gold in it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What is one book that you would recommend to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience, David? Mm. I would say the most effective for the average person who is serious about succeeding in the midst of life challenges is a book called Loving What Is by Byron Katie. It is all about the stories we tell ourselves and learning emotional regulation. And it's a very practical way to apply what scripture teaches about taking our thoughts captive. It's not a Christian book. It's not written from, you know, to a Christian audience. There's some stuff in there. You're going to want to take the meat and spit out the bones. But the principles she teaches and the questions you can ask yourself in questioning your thoughts has single-handedly been one of the most impactful books I have ever read. Good. I can't wait to uh, check that one out. I've not read that one yet. When you think about the future, what excites you the most? Mm, what excites me the most right now, it's just, it's seeing my kids grow every day. I know that might not sound like big in, to some people, but. Sounds exciting to me. You know, I, I love <laughs> every day, man, because every single morning I literally feel so grateful. I get another day. What? I get another day. And. I'm not perfect at it. And I get in bad moods and I get angry and I, you know, my wife will tell you, you know, yeah, I have my stuff, but I think it's another opportunity to lean into limitless potential and to love people and serve and give. And it's working out really well. I love it. And grow in patience and love and all those important characteristics, right? Yeah, man, for sure. Children are great, great teachers in that way. What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you, David, and contact you should they choose to do that? Yeah. So just anyone can connect with me on social media, just at David Waldy. I'm, I'm pretty much on every platform. I usually hang out on Instagram the most, but if you want to hit me up, just shoot me a DM and mention Alan or mention the podcast. And I also love to bless people too. I've got some free resources that uh, you can download for free if you go to fierceempathyframework.com. So just fierceempathyframework.com. There's a self-coaching guide. There's also a coaching guide for trainers and coaches and consultants. But those resources have basically been the framework that I have followed in a lot of this transformational stuff. And so grab those things, connect with me. You can hit me up on email. You can check out my website. But if you want to create a conversation, I'd love to. You know, I really am responsive on Instagram. Just hit me up. 
at David Waldy. Perfect. And that website, in addition to your Instagram and other socials, was fierceempathyframework.com? Yep. So fierceempathyframework.com. And then my website, just davidwaldy.com. Got it. And we'll drop all those down in the episode notes below for anyone that wants to access that. And David, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time. I just want to give you the last word, any closing comment you may want to share with our listeners on the way out. Mm. Well, brother Alan, let me first say by saying thank you. It's been an honor to be here. I would say for on the way out, one activity I would challenge everyone that's listening to this podcast to do is sit down, do that exercise we mentioned earlier about what you're dissatisfied with and what you'd want to change. But this one is equally as powerful is give yourself permission to sit down and write out your perfect day. For where you are right now, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, if you could snap your fingers, wave your magic wand or whatever, what would your perfect day look like? Because that mentor that I told you about, Alan, she had me do that exercise. And I was sitting in my living room about two years later and I found the journal and I opened it up, didn't realize what I was looking at. And I started weeping. Because as I'm reading through this perfect day list that when I wrote, I was like, this is stupid. Like, there is no way that this could be my life. There's no way. Because I wrote down, I want to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my kids. I want to be able to have this pocket in the morning for these things. I want to work with clients here, et cetera. And at the time, I'm working again, crazy hours at my job. And I started crying because I was literally living and experiencing in that moment what I had written a couple of years prior. And so for anyone that's listening, do that exercise, dream big, and remember that at the end of the day, you are loved, you are seen, you are worthy, your father loves you, me and Alan love you. (laughs) You We are with you, we are for you. And we have been given so much power than we've been made to believe. And it's possible, my friend, it's possible and choose to never stop becoming. Oh man, what a great word to go out on. Dream big, dream bold, dream the impossible and write it down and save that journal entry because you're going to need to reference it back in a period of time to see what has transpired. That's a good word. Thank you so much for taking your time, David, to come on here and share with all of our listeners your story, a little bit of your story, your challenges, your insights, your wisdom, and your energy, man. This has been fun. Thank you, Alan. It was an honor, brother. Hey, hey, thank you so much for listening. I hope you got a ton of value from this episode. And as a token of appreciation for enjoying the show, if you don't mind leaving a five-star rating as well as a genuine review, whether it's just a sentence or a paragraph, that's up to you. I would like to show my gratitude to you by sending you a free sample of our all-organic 22-amino acid meal replacement protein shake. We'll even cover the shipping cost. I drink this every day and love it for the blood sugar control, fat burning, natural energy, and strength building it's provided me over the past 22 years now. And I'm confident that you will love it too. When leaving a review, simply take a screenshot of your review and send it over to me on my Instagram account, at Alan B. Blaine, found in the show notes below. And be sure to include your mailing address so that we can get this shipped out to you right away. Thank you, and we'll see you on the next episode. (laughs) 